Baz Luhrmann brilliantly floods our senses with arresting sights and sounds. That's Richard Roper of Chicago Sun-Times. His review of Baz Luhrmann's Elvis, which is our featured review this week here on Cinephile. In addition to that, other new film, Lightyear. Massive film for the kids. And as far as our old movie is concerned, Mr. Broadway himself. That's me. I went and took my wife for her birthday to go see Beetlejuice on Broadway. That's the fourth Broadway show I've seen in five weeks. We're going to have a theatrical podcast coming soon here at Metalark. Uh, we'll talk with the film Beetlejuice and the musical Beetlejuice. And we got great guests. Dexter Fletcher, who is awesome. He is the director of the first two episodes of The Offer. He is our wild card and the executive oh. producer of that show. He's got stories about Miles Teller, The Godfather, Robert Evans, Matthew Good, Al Pacino. He's boys with Pacino. He actually worked with them on the film Revolution way back in 1985. And we've got an unbelievable guest, Cody. I don't burying want to the lead. Surprise. You are burying the lead, my friend. We have a guest of all guests. The biggest guest in Cinefile history. There, I said it. Wow. I, I think the best you can phrase is this. If you were to talk to one person about Elvis, who would it be? This is the best guess that you could get, yeah. right? Mm -hmm. We're going to get into Elvis and all things Elvis in just a second. But first, worlds colliding. My first friend at ESPN, the great Jordan Kahana, we started together May 3rd, 2010, rookie camp, which is what they call it at ESPN, your first couple days, they're a big orientation. I remember we both started freaking out. We saw Bob Lee in the kitchen. I'm like, oh my God, it's Bob Lee. Oh. Uh, he texted me and goes, I'm going to see your boy Cody. I'm like, what? Sheets and giggles sending you to the Stanley Cup final game five. And it was a lovely picture he sent me. It was Cody, Jordan, and Roy together enjoying the Stanley oh, Cup yeah. final. What an experience. It was a three-day trip there. Jordan was like our liaison. He like Ubered us everywhere, took us out to eat. <laughs> Sheets and Giggles is paying for the whole bill. We're, we're, we're eating, you know, Ocean Prime. We're, we're, we're like eating good and going around, having a good time. No, Jordan was really cool. The trip was great. Sheets and Giggles hooked it up like always. We didn't get to see the clinching game. But game five, man, Denver, that atmosphere, Ball not the weed. I'm not talking about the weed. I'm talking about the hockey but I'm telling you, it was just really like the atmosphere was like nothing I'd ever seen in a hockey. Obviously, it's a clinching scenario, so they're going to be hyped. But it was just it was a really fun game despite they lost. I enjoyed following it on social media because you were commenting on Roy firing back on tweets. So you got to see Roy in action. He just loves crushing people. Roy on Twitter is a thing. Like Roy's different. He's a different beast on Twitter and in person. And it's just very, usually you just see the tweets pop up. It's very rare. You're on a 40 minute train ride with Roy, just kind of looking over his shoulder and getting to see the man in action. And it is like, you think he's just, you know, willy nilly with this stuff. No, no, no. He's doing research. He's looking up things before tweets. He's writing out long tweets and then deleting it. Just being like thinking better of it. Like, I'm not going to send this. Like I saw, I did like an hour of reporting on this and there was, I know people say like he does the yo mama stuff. So Roy yeah, a lot of mama stuff. A, yes. He's always commenting. He can brothers. get a bad rap, but I'm telling you, he researches, he's, he's thoughtful. And I, I was impressed with Twitter Roy. I'm not going to lie. I also like the clip of you on Instagram in which you were talking about the fact that things are going well at home because you've been asking her wife, your wife about it her day and you're very specific. You'll ask about coworkers and such. Right. You at like, that's something I said on Levitard show. Like you need to, if you just say, how's your day? 10 days in a row with nothing else. Your wife's going to catch on to, hmm, he doesn't really give a shit. You got to think of some key words, some key names, some names she mentions a lot and ask how they're doing. How's Sarit? Oh, she's good? Yeah, Sarit was the one. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I was impressed yeah. by that. And then I they like try to, to work mock you. In. They try to make you sound like a caveman. You go, actually, I'm the one cooking, just to be clear here. Like, I'm domestic, Chris. Right. Cooking. They, they tried to attack me on that. It's like, oh, ask her what's for dinner. It's like, no, actually, she asked me for what's for dinner. So let's not come at me at that. One thought for you, because everyone knows and loves Greg Cody. Uh, people are not as familiar with my dad, Papa Verk, who is visiting right now, my mom and my dad. I have a thought for you about your father, because I'm a little bit concerned about my dad and how much he's sleeping. How much does your dad sleep at night? First of all, how old is Greg Cody? 
My dad is born in 54, so 67, right? 68? Yeah, okay. yeah something How much like that. does he sleep? He sleeps, my dad is, uh, he's kind of a night owl. My dad goes to bed at like 11.30 and is up probably eight, probably sleeps like eight hours. Okay, so the usual men I would think. My dad out at nine, up at seven. I go, wow, that's a, I mean, that's a, that's a solid 10 hour slumber. I mean, yeah, he's probably, how old is he? He's 76, a, he's turning 76, okay. his birthday this week, we're going to Jersey Shore, and then gets a nap at four. I go, hey, oh, yeah, wow. So 10 hours a night and a nap, 11 hours. And when did he <laughs> went to at noon? This is, is that, are we at two naps now? 12 hours my, a day. My uncle, my dad's, believe it or not, it's possible to have this. My dad's older brother is uh, in his, he's like nine years older than my dad. So he's like uh, in his upper 70s, maybe even 80s now, the hell, whatever. And he goes to bed, he literally goes to bed at 6 a.m., I mean at 6 p.m. and is up at like 4 a.m. Awful. He's a lifetime bachelor. And like he doesn't have any kids, no responsibilities. So he just, he's like tired at 6 p.m., wakes up at like 4 a.m., and goes on Facebook. So my uncle is always like Facebooking <laughs> at like 5 a.m. every morning. It's like hilarious. That's actually. an unbelievable revel. I would have thought lifelong bachelor, he goes to bed at 2 a.m. and he gets up at 10 a.m. I go, okay, no, that's fine. But no, no, he's going the other way. He's like, I'm exhausted. No. I got no one to talk to. I got no kids. Screw it. I'm going to bed. And his, like, when you ask him why he does it, he goes, I'm bored. Like, I got nothing. Like, I, I live my day. Like, by 6 p.m., I've eaten dinner. I'm just like, yeah, I've watched everything. I am just going to bed. Okay, well, Dick I was, Cody, ladies and gentlemen, Uncle Dick Cody. Uncle Dick Cody. We got to get him trending right now on Twitter or at least a shout out <laughs> on Instagram. Um, well, it was not Uncle Dick, but it was Mama Verk and Papa Verk looking after my kids. My wife and I snuck out to go see Elvis, and I was so excited to see this film. My wife loves Baz Luhrmann, who is the director, the co-writer, and the co-producer. Uh, fans of Cinephile will remember for Valentine's Day, I took her to go see Moulin Rouge on Broadway, which is a very famous Baz Luhrmann film, arguably his best film. And now we're getting our Baz on once again. It's all about Elvis. Here's the story from his childhood in Tupelo, Mississippi, to his rise to stardom starting in Memphis, Tennessee, and his conquering of Las Vegas, Nevada, Elvis Presley becomes the first rock and roll star and changes the world with his music. Now, somebody tweeted me, because I had already posted, hey, my review's coming of, and they said, is it, is it I, mean, I just don't like Baz. And here's the thing, the director, he's very much a love it or hate it kind of director, and that is Worst, I suppose, you would say he is all style and no substance. So if you're unfamiliar with his filmography, Moulin Rouge, which I watched earlier this year, Romeo and Juliet, the DiCaprio version, came out in 1996. John Leguizamo, I believe, playing uh, Montague or Capulet, one of those guys. He also made The Great Gatsby with Leonardo DiCaprio. His biggest bomb was Australia, just a disaster with Hugh Jackman and Nicole Kidman. But he's very much a love it or hate it type of director. But I think with Elvis, he finds the perfect sensibility and the perfect subject matter for his taste which are big and bold and brassy. And I'll get this out of the way right now. Elvis is the first great film I've seen of 2022. I wow. absolutely loved it. I thought it was a star-making performance by Austin Butler. And one of the keys to the movie is this. I didn't recognize almost any of the cast. The only recognizable name is Tom Hanks, who I'll get to in a second. But Austin Butler, I believe he's done some stuff with Nickelodeon or Disney. Yeah, or he was like, like in Hannah Montana. So I don't, I'm not familiar with this man's filmography at all. So as I'm watching the movie, he's just completely, to me, Elvis. He looks like he's completely immersed in the role. He is, you know, uh, impeccably dressed. The wardrobe is fantastic. I mean, this has to get nominated uh, for an Academy Award for costume design, if not production design, the cinematography, the glitz and the glamour. But just his face. 
face, he's, he's impeccably handsome, and his dancing is unbelievable. I mean, when he first shakes, rattles, and rolls, you've got Tom Hanks in the narration as Colonel Tom Parker, who is his agent. And he says, in that moment, I saw a star being born. The first time he starts jiggling his hips. And I felt, as a moviegoer, I saw a star being born on, on the screen. I said, wow, Austin Butler, this is a true star-making performance. That first scene where he starts wiggling out like Elvis, and the entire movie is just captivated. I just thought he had undeniable charisma in the film. Is that I heard, um, and it's just Mike Ryan. I heard talking about it. Mike Ryan saw the movie, and and he he was positive on it, but he said the beginning was a little like it took, like he he wasn't sure he liked it at the beginning. Yeah, well, the thing with Baz Luhrmann's films, again, it's very impressionistic, which is to say it's not a by-the-book biopic. You know, the by-the-book one is here he is born, here he is when he's six, seven, eight, he gets touched by music, he becomes a musician, he goes to the big city, etc. Like, Luhrmann's movies are, are much more impressionistic, which is to say there might be a 10-minute scene of young Elvis just being surrounded by black musicians and soaking it all in. And, you know, he's, he's talking to, you know, B.B. King, or he's being influenced by uh, Little Richard. A bop, bop, a loo, bop, a wop, bop, bop, saw a girl yeah. named Sue. So, I guess I, I kind of understand what Mike's saying is that it's, it's not a conventional biopic. It's kind of just immersive in that world. And I, I did think at first, you know, kind of remind me a little bit in an odd way of the film Casino, because Casino has a lot of voiceover in the first hour. It's a lot of Robert De Niro explaining the way that Las Vegas works. And in that movie, it works because the first hour almost feels like a documentary. And then it goes more into the relationship between De Niro, Pesci, and of course, Sharon Stone. So similarly, this movie starts out with Colonel Tom Parker. It's Tom Hanks' character. The, you don't actually see Elvis until the 13-minute mark. It's Colonel Tom narrating his life and his life with Elvis. And you say, wait, I, I don't want to see a Colonel Tom Parker movie. I want to see an Elvis movie. So thankfully, Baz starts to shift the attention away. But I think it's it's his entry point. It's his way of telling the story through a different character. You know, it's like... Um, in Schindler's List, yeah. rather than tell the story of the Jews being persecuted, you have the story of Oscar Schindler, Liam Neeson, and his impact upon them, and then you see yeah. all the atrocities. So similarly, it's, you know, Tom Hanks as Colonel Tom Parker is the window into Elvis. The first 10 minutes, like I said, voiceover, looking back at his life, etc. Boom, now we get Elvis, young Elvis, away we go. Um, but to Mike's point, I guess, the, the first 45 minutes I thought really moved. I, th I thought the pacing was excellent. It really just had... The thing about Baz Luhrmann's films, again, it's all style, no substance. So at times, I kind of wish he would take a breath and give me a little bit of depth to something. He just kind of takes the moment and runs with it. But the good news is it's never boring and it's never dull because he's got way too much meat to kind of cook on the bone here. So I would say the first 45 minutes is moving. After that, about 10 minutes, I might have looked. My wife was on her phone. She loves texting. And I'm like, whatever. Okay, one time. Okay, it's hour. And then I would say, I didn't even look at the watch. Like the, I thought the second half was outstanding. I mean, it really hit its groove. It's a and two and a half hour film. And I would say I did not look at the, the watch or didn't look at her looking at her watch for the last hour, 15 minutes. Just I thought the pacing was breathless. And it really then dove into the substance of Elvis. So like I said, the first section is about the style and the music, how influenced he is by black music. But once you kind of get into the guts of who Elvis was, you know, his love, his passions, uh, his relationship with Priscilla, his daughter, Lisa Marie, and how everything became so complicated with the colonel, who was this very dark, mysterious character, very enigmatic. Then I thought the film really hit home. And I thought particularly the ending is incredibly impactful. I mean, the final 10 minutes are, are just purely emotional. And, um, you know, I've heard people tweeting and talking, saying they were in tears watching the rest of that film it's it is gorgeously rendered i will say particularly the final 10 minutes of the movie are they touching the drugs a lot 
They are hitting the drugs. This is the thing. The movie is endorsed by the Elvis family, so I think that's always tricky. It reminds me of the documentary, which I was not as enamored of others, The Last Dance, because as I said, it was a hagiography, hey which is to say it's just Michael Jordan having his imprint on everything, and he's just telling his life the way he tells yeah. it, and it's all his version. So as Ken Burns himself said, because that's not a documentary. That's just one guy telling his life. So when the Elvis family gave their permission, you're like, okay, are they going to want a sanitized version of the movie? Which credit to Elton John, when he had the rights, obviously, to Rocket Man, but he told the director, and you'll listen to the interview, by the way, coming up, Dexter Fletcher, was great, who directed Rocket Man. Uh, Elton John said, oh, put it all in there. Like, put, put the sex, put the bisexuality, put the drugs, put the cheating. Like, that's my life. Like, do what you want to do. Like, that, that's how it's going to be. So I don't know what restrictions the Elvis estate put upon Baz Luhrmann. I don't think they did at all, because they certainly show him taking pills and being inducted by the drugs. But I like the fact they didn't harp on it. I think people know that. And again, this is a film probably for Elvis lovers and those who don't know a ton about Elvis. I think it's a good indoctrination of the world of Elvis. Again, the familiar beats, influenced by black music from Mississippi, huge thing in Vegas, the Colonel screws him, some drugs, love, the hips, etc. Uh, but I don't think it's, it's not like, um, you know, it's not like train spying. There's not like right. 30 minutes of him getting on drugs. But yes, you definitely see him being impacted by the pills. Now, I'm giving the film three and a half Maple Leafs. I want to give it four Maple Leafs. Like I said, it's the first great film I've seen this year. It's the best film I've seen so far. We're six months into the year. The one quibble I have is with our man Tom Hanks. Listen, he is one of the greatest actors alive, and I appreciate his challenge in this movie because he's playing the villain, the colonel. For those who don't know, he ripped off Elvis something fierce. 50% he was taking. 50-50 was the split between the artist and the what? agent slash manager when it came to grosses and merchandising and licensing. And as Oof. the colonel is narrating the life, he's like, ah, oh, and you know, he's got this really ridiculous accent. Um, and he's saying, you know, hey, I'm the one who made Elvis. I'm the one who brought him to this. I took care of my boy, et cetera. But he clearly he's just ripped the guy off. It was horrific what he did to him. And it makes you think about all these musicians who have been impacted by financial woes and financial miscarriages. Now, Hanks does his best, but I can never get away from the fact I'm looking at Tom Hanks just drowning in latex. Like, it's just a giant fat suit, and he's got this crazy yeah. accent. So I, I just would have preferred it because the rest of the cast is all anonymous. Like, the rest of them, I've never seen any of these actors. So I'm completely buying them as Elvis's brother, Elvis's daughter, Elvis's wife, etc. But this, I, I had the constant feeling that I was watching Tom Hanks doing an odd accent and just in a fat suit playing Colonel Tom Parker. So I, I give him credit for taking the role. And listen, we all know why he did it. Because Baz Luhrmann's not going to get this film financed without at least one star. I mean, you you can't make a film. Austin Butler, nobody knows who he is. Okay, well, what's how is the studio going to finance it? We got Tom Hanks. Really? You got Tom Hanks? Okay, great. I watched the film. I said, the budget must have been $100 million. I checked $85 million. So a lot of that is getting bankrolled by the fact Tom Hanks is in your film and you can sell that worldwide distribution, et cetera, which gets us to the financial aspect of it. I was really cheering on the film this weekend without even having seen it because I said so many of these Hollywood movies are superheroes and sequels and kids movies all summer. Like, God forbid, this is actually an original film about a very famous subject. I hope it does well at the box office. So I checked with bated breath after seeing the film Sunday night and sure enough, Elvis, number one at the box office, in a tie with Top Gun. Both films opened at $30.5 million. So Top Gun is in its fifth weekend, which has shown incredible legs. I mean, it's made now a billion dollars at the box office. First Tom Cruise film to make a billion dollars. and But Elvis opened at 30.5. And I'm telling my wife, and I go, that's a huge achievement. Think about this. The only thing people are seeing these days are freaking Jurassic World yeah. and Tom Cruise and garbage. Like for, for an original film with an anonymous star as the lead... That's massive, thirty point five. Yeah, but Elvis—it's Elvis, right? That's but, the but, star. But, but, but like, Elvis not exactly big with the kids. Like I can't imagine yeah, but any like, eighteen to thirty-four year olds going, "Hey, I can't wait to go see Elvis this weekend." Yeah, like, but I'm thirty-five years old, and like, so I'm just, I guess, out of that demographic. But like, yeah. I 
I'm I am interested in just because Elvis is like I get maybe the low maybe like twenty year olds and eighteen year olds yeah. don't have this, but my People generation on are not doing Elvis videos. My generation, Elvis is like that's you know what I mean. It's like Elvis, like nice. that's so like I don't maybe you're right about I'm getting to the point where I'm now not young anymore. So like <laughs> like maybe the fact you're, you're right, no longer the eighteen to thirty four is tough. Like that's right. a tough. And, but like, that's the so I, I can't speak. I can't speak for like kids graduating high school and college right now. So maybe you're right. Maybe those kids are, don't want to go see Elvis. They're thinking of but, like, fat Elvis I, and peanut butter and banana sandwiches and that stuff. Yeah. Now and and I'm just picturing like uh, Tom Hanks playing Fat Bastard. By the way, when, when you like, that's <laughs> that what I'm his next in my mind. Yeah. Another right. bad accent, big fat suit. Tom Hanks would be amazing. Um, but to your point, it is Elvis in that you know you're going to have a huge built-in audience. This guy is the number one recording artist ever. Like it's amazing. Yeah. They had they had the crawl at the end there, which maybe think about Mount Rushmore of male singers. I'll throw this out at you now. Elvis is obviously number one. My guy Sinatra. I mean, listen, his nickname mm-hmm. was The Voice. Gotta have Sinatra. That's number two. All right, Johnny Cash. Hello, I'm Johnny Cash. And I think four noted pedophile Michael Jackson. Like, yeah, I, I was gonna say. Like, I mean, you're not topping those four guys as male artists in the last 100 I'm, years. I'm glad you brought up Michael Jackson because I was feeling a little squeamish about doing it, but you, he. I think if you're just talking about, yeah, I mean, he's got to be on there. Yeah, but the music of Elvis is amazing. And again, credit to Bass Lerman when he's doing the movie together. He never goes more than, I'm going to say, 30 seconds to a minute on any of the songs. Like, it was funny. At one point, my wife and I started to get so pumped up. They played Burning Love. I'm like, here we go. And it's like, he'll do one bar, boom, cut to the next thing. I'm like, man, his pacing is, he probably said to himself, I'm not going to make a four-hour movie, and I've got to jam all this stuff in two and a half hours. Go, go, go. So, again, at times, I would have liked, like, I did not to hear It's Now or Never. I would have liked a little more of a little less conversation. I kind of want, now I kind of want to have 30 seconds of a bunch of Elvis songs. Ultimately, Elvis is a fascinating character. I think uh, I think of the movie Pulp Fiction. Tarantino has a deleted scene in which Uma Thurman, uh, Mia Wallace, is telling John Travolta, she goes, you're either a Beatles person or an Elvis person. And she goes, no, you can like Elvis and like the Beatles, and you can like the Beatles and like Elvis. But ultimately, one or the other, you're picking one or the other. And she looks at him and says, now, obviously, I'm not going to have a conversation with you because I know you are clearly an Elvis man. And Tarantino himself is an Elvis man. I believe he played a, he played an Elvis impersonator early in his career before he became Reservoir Dogs writer-director Quentin Tarantino. He wanted to be an actor. I remember, he played an Elvis impersonator. So the question is, Chris Cody, are you an Elvis man or are you a Beatles man? I'm a Beatles guy. If you made me choose. Let it be. I've delved into the the Beatles library where I have not, like, I know the hits. Like, I know the, yeah. all the songs that, like, you know, we're, we're going to, like, all the songs we might hear in a little bit. Like, I've, <laughs> I know them all. Right. That's what I was doing, by the way, when I said I'm in the mood to hear 30 seconds of a bunch of Elvis songs. I was trying to give you a nice little transition into our for, Elvis conversion. Well, don't worry. <laughs> we're, we're, about to get, we're about to get to our start here in a second. But ultimately, um, I think it's an excellent film. I'm glad that it's a hit. I think it's going to make at least $100 million. When you look at musical biopics, if a movie can hit $30 million out of the gate, that's a good sign. You look at Rocket Man, look at Walk the Line, you look at Mamma Mia 2, for God's sakes. It's a good sign that people, and again, it's an older demographic. Like the, the Elvis audience is going to be 35 plus, 40 plus. If they're going back to movies, that's a good sign. And I hope the film is certainly recognized for Austin Butler's superb performance. And like I said, the costume design, the music, the production design, really, really well done. A little less conversation for me. It's now time for a huge get. So those are my thoughts on the film Elvis, and we've been racking our brain trying to get a big guest. Director Baz Luhrmann, Tom Hanks, Austin Butler, Lisa Marie Presley. You know, we got the biggest guest out there. If you wanted to talk about the movie Elvis with anybody, who would it be? It would be Elvis. Elvis, thanks for joining us right now on Cinephile. You ain't nothing but a hot dog, crying all the time. 
Well, you never caught a rabbit. You ain't no friend of mine. Let me a little Baby, Elvis is in the house. Elvis, it's great to see you. Right. Uh, obviously, it was listen, it was a tragic ending to your life story, but I, I love that you're back now. I love the film. I thought it was brilliant. What did you think of it? Well, thank you for having me. Uh, I got paid before the podcast, so you're lucky I even came out after that, I tell you. But uh, I thought the movie was great. I thought they really, they really portrayed me good. I thought that they, the girls were much prettier, though, I tell you. That's what I really liked. But uh, Wait, it seemed the, girl, the girls much prettier in the film than they were actually were in life. <laughs> yes. Look out now. What do you think about Austin Butler? I mean, Austin Butler's playing you. I mean, to have a guy actually playing you, what did you think? Did the kid do you justice? You're the king. Absolutely. He was tall. He had slender. The suits looked good. He, he talked like me. His hair was like me. So I hope you guys, are you guys both Elvis fans before the movie. I am. I'm a huge Elvis fan. I took my wife to go see the film, and uh, we loved it. I just thought... It was really authentic and captured the essence of Elvis, and it was sad. You know, the relationship with the Colonel. I mean, what do you, I mean, the Colonel really screwed you, Elvis. I really feel bad what the Colonel did to you. How is Elvis managed with like Zoom and technology? How's Elvis doing with that stuff? Well, you saw how I was fumbling around with Zoom trying to get you, but uh, <laughs> yeah, I mean, a couple, couple switch, but we got there. But uh, it, it's good because it's spreading the word, especially a movie like this, really spreads the word, reignites what Elvis was about, why he connected with everybody. All right, one song that was not in the film, which is one of my favorites, is It's Now or Never. So I'll give you a choice here, Elvis. Either you can give me a little bit of It's Now or Never, or my other two favorites, Burning Love and A Little Less Conversation. Your choice, one of those three. It's now or never, come hold me tight. Kiss me, my darling, I'll be mine tonight. Let me see you do your lip. Oh. Yeah, be and the other one is A uh, Little Less Conversation, which they actually did a remake of that and did a little uh, commercial with that. A little less conversation, a little more action. All this aggravation and satisfaction in me. A little more bite, a little less spark. A little less bite, a little more spark. Close your mouth and open up your heart and baby, satisfy me. Satisfy me. Thank you. <laughs> you got it. Okay. okay, last one, Burning Love. Lord Almighty, I feel my temperature rising. Yeah, yeah. higher, higher. <laughs> it's putting through my soul. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> you can't beat him. Elvis has been revealed as Dan Cunningham. He is a great sport. He's a great guy. If you love what Dan just brought as Elvis, and I'm sure you did. Dan, where can people find you on social media? Where can they book you? Give us the whole full uh, full details. Well, thank you so much. You can find me on Instagram as Dan as Elvis. And you can find me on The Bash, my website, B-A-S-H, The Bash. Just look under Dan Cunningham, and you can see all the videos and all the, the reviews and comments. And I'd love to meet you. Do a show for you. You need to look out now for all the requests. Thank you very much, brother. Love you guys. You guys are great. The headlines remind us daily, the world is a dangerous place. The elites in charge say everything's fine. Stop noticing. But you know better. And your gut knows that time is short to prepare for a world that is four missed meals away from chaos. My Patriot Supply has helped over three million families become more self-reliant and is the company Americans trust to prepare. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com and secure their best-selling three-month emergency food kits. Each contain delicious breakfasts, lunches, and dinners, averaging over 2,000 calories per day. Secure at least one food kit for each family member. For a limited time, save $200, plus get free shipping on all their Ready Hour 3-month emergency food kits. You're not ready if it's not Ready Hour Foods. My Patriot Supply also has solar power generators, water filtration units, biomass stoves, heirloom seeds, and critical survival gear. 
Shop MyPatriotSupply.com today. MyPatriotSupply.com So how did that go? Well, listen, you had texted me Sunday night and said, I've got a huge guest for Elvis. Who's the one person you'd want to speak to? And I said, well, obviously, Lisa Marie Presley, his daughter. And, goes, and I was no. like, I'm trying to get Lisa Marie, but who's option B? I was hoping Baz Luhrmann or Tom Hanks or Austin Butler. But no, it was actually Elvis. So I'm like, all right, we're in. Let's do it. Uh, that went exactly how I wanted it to go. My man, Elvis. He's definitely a great guy. I hope everyone supports yeah. Dan and uh, yeah. Dan is Elvis. The best thing about him was once we hate, like, you know, it's like snapping the fingers. It's like with uh, any sort of impersonator. Like, hey, do this, do this, do this. Monkey see, monkey do. He nailed it. Oh, yeah. yeah. I could have asked him. I could have asked him any song. He would have nailed it. Next time, Hound Dog. He'll do it. <laughs> I just wanted to get in my lookout now. That's it. That's all I got. One big spoiler from the movie, by the way. There is no mention of thank you, thank you very much, which I would think is the most often. Really? Often, if somebody said do an Elvis impression, I'd say thank you, thank you very much. Not once in the movie, but there is one time they say Elvis has left the building, which I did like. My Elvis impression is just Jack White in Dewey Cox. That's <laughs> walk hard. Yes. Walk hard. Look out now. All right. <laughs> all right. Let's do another new movie here. Lightyear. Not nearly as exciting as Elvis. While spending years attempting to return home, Maroon Space Ranger Buzz Lightyear encounters an army of ruthless robots commanded by Zerg who are attempting to steal his fuel source. It's a long way of saying it's not as good as the other ones, okay? I'll tell you that right now. Toy Story 3, the best of the Toy Story crew. Dan Stanzik will approve. Toy Story 4 was okay, but Lightyear just feels like a cash grab, okay? And first and foremost, why is it not Tim Allen as the voice of Buzz? I, I like Chris Seriously. Evans. I couldn't get behind Chris Evans as Buzz. And the, the argument, the poor argument, Angus McLean tried to give the co-writer and director was, well, you know, he's the voice of the toy, Tim Allen. This is an origin story about Buzz. This is his actual voice as an actual person. I go, don't give me that nonsense. You okay. didn't want to give Tim Allen $60 million, so you gave Chris Evans $5 million, and that's the story, right? Just be honest. So, so the context, I'm, I'm, thank you for saying that. So the context of this, this is the story that they created the action figure, right? Like, yeah. I was trying to figure out the correlation, like how they were going to, like, do that. So I was just like, I, that, that makes sense now. Okay, good. This is who Buzz Lightyear actually was. And I'm just, listen, It's it feels like watered down Pixar. Pixar is normally fantastic. And this feels like run of the mill, generic Pixar. It's the first one we've had in a few years, back to back in movie theaters, right? Turning Red was uh, available via streaming Disney Plus along with Luca. So they actually have a Pixar movie back in theaters. I mean, I paid an outrageous amount of money. I, we had to go IMAX. It was the only time it was showing. So that was uh, $81 for me and four kids. And the, the, the snacks was 30 I paid 120 bucks to go see Lightyear. Thank God I got rid of Peacock, by the way, this month. That saved me another $5. So DirecTV, I chopped her down. Peacock, there's another $5 gone. 120 bucks for Lightyear. Um, I would agree with this performance. Uh, Shubra Gupta of the Indian Express. The Chris Evans film has little soul, spark, and moving moments. And Wendy Eyed of The Observer. For a film which shoots for the stars, this is disappointingly pedestrian stuff. I'll give it two Maple Leafs. Uh, this is the furthest thing from Infinity yeah. and Beyond. Pretty Pretty, pretty predictable, right? Yeah. Exactly. Uh, lastly, let's talk about Beetlejuice. Listen, I love the film. This is an excuse, though, more to talk about the musicals. I took my wife to go see it. 375 bucks for tickets, which is 290 
Dinner for two, halal food truck, lamb over rice, that's 20 bucks. Parking, 35 for New York City, not bad on a Tuesday night. And uh, the snacks, which was critical. My wife started falling asleep, end of the first act, a long day with the kids. I'm falling, I'm like, oh my God, I gotta get snacks. Intermission show, I'm like, all right, give me whatever you have. I'll take a Diet Coke, I'll take uh, M&M's, I'll take Twizzlers, $30. $30 for M&M's, Twizzlers, and a Diet Coke. That is the big, that might be the biggest ripoff in the history of, of vending. Think about stadium food. And you go, oh my God, I paid eight bucks for a burger. It was a pretty good burger though. And I'm at a ball game, whatever, $10 beer, right? No, this is the worst one ever. $30, M&M's, Twizzlers, and a Diet Coke. I'm like, I go, this is larceny. You're already ripping me off for the tickets. This is That's outrageous. Wild. Fourth Broadway show in five months. And this was this ranked fourth in the ones that I've seen. Like I loved American Buffalo, loved Mammoth, Sam Rockwell, Lawrence Fishburne. Moulin Rouge, surprisingly, was excellent. Really enjoyed it. Mr. Mr. Saturday, Saturday Night. night mm-hmm. My boy, Billy Crystal. Great. Uh, Billy, listen, I believe hey, it. Hey, <laughs> I believe it's oh, oh. If you try to get tickets right now after the Tony Awards, it's sold out. I'm not kidding, right? Because you were mocking his performance. It's because of that thing he did at the Tonys. They're like, we got to see this live. I need to be, I need to go, hey, when he (laughs) says, hey, I need to. Today Ticks, which is the app that I use, if you go on there right now, if you type in Mr. Saturday Night, because the show's not available, almost any other show, I can go there, click on, boom, 20% off, 30% off. Mr. Saturday Night, mm. selling out. People want to see it, just because that's how strong Billy Crystal's performance was. But anyways, uh, Beetlejuice, it's tough to match the original. The film I love. I mean, the, the film is one of my favorites. Tim Burton directing, the spirits of a deceased couple are harassed by an unbearable family that has moved into their home and hire a malicious spirit to drive them out. The movie stars Alec Baldwin, Gina Davis, Academy Award winner, and the you've got, you know, pieces of Michael Keaton, who is incredible as Beetlejuice. I mean, who doesn't love Michael Keaton? And you've got yeah. Winona Ryder, who's amazing, Jeffrey Jones, um, the great Canadian, Catherine O'Hara. The movie is special because it's, like I said, a little bit of Beetlejuice. He's a supporting character. The musical is all Beetlejuice. And I'm like, oh, so this is one of those examples where the supporting character becomes the star. And to me, that doesn't work as effectively. Now, again, if you're into musical theater, I think it's an entertaining time. I didn't think the actress playing Lydia was as strong as the other actors, but I appreciate seeing a show on Broadway. The songs are generally uh, upbeat, infectious, and dark, and obviously making fun of the fact that they're all part of the deceased. But when it comes to Beetlejuice, I would give the, the theatrical review, I would say it was a, a good musical but pales in comparison to the other three i've seen the movie though is exceptional for me believes if somehow you have not seen beetlejuice do yourself a favor i just watched by the way on 60 minutes the great l john wertheim locked into tennis wimbledon begins this week john's the best tennis writer alive he also is a 60 minutes correspondent he did an interview with michael keaton from a few months ago and they re-aired it my dad while he was not sleeping i said dad have you seen this one he goes no he loves 60 minutes <laughs> favorite show on tv and michael keaton's amazing so i watched it again and they were talking to michael keaton about all his performances and Batman and all the rest of it. And I just love that. I mean, that scene in Beetlejuice, when he first meets Alec Baldwin and Gina Davis, it's amazing. Because he goes, what are your qualifications? He goes, well, I attended Juilliard. I mean, I've seen The Exorcist 170 times, and it keeps getting funnier every single time I see it. Now, do you think... Do you think I'm qualified? He goes, oh, what we mean is, can you be scary? He's like, oh, what do you think of this? The snakes come out. And that moment where finally Lydia, one of the writers, says Beetlejuice three times, he goes, it's showtime. Can't beat it. The movie is that movie is that's one of those classic movies that I've seen. Like I've watched that movie probably multiple times, but I was young when I watched it, so I I I need to watch that again. I bet you there's a bunch of those that like a bunch of moments where. I like would I would be like oh I never even noticed that part before because yeah, I was I young. Think, I think you'd love it if you watched it now. You'd be like this is a great movie. I mean it's it's so yeah. inventive and visually dazzling and dark and funny and and the music. The dinner scene like I I think yeah. back like my first thought is like the dinner scene and yes. like everybody just acting all weird and I yeah. think that's the two. Somebody said you Beetlejuice and the first thing you think of is Michael Keaton and you probably think of dinner scene Deo uh, the banana boat yeah. song by Harry Belafonte. Oh, uh, yeah. 
Daylight come and me won't go Thankfully that was in the musical And I love the song Shake, Shake, Shake Sonora Which is the end of the movie yeah. when They got the football players dancing and all the rest of it So yeah. anyways, watch the movie, watch the musical if you can And make sure you watch Elvis It's a great film and I hope everyone enjoyed it I hope everyone enjoyed Dan as Elvis Now it's time for our special guest We've been talking a lot about the offer Matthew Good, amazing as Robert Evans Let's talk to the man who directed him in the first two episodes of the offer Here is Dexter Fletcher Well, you've heard my thoughts here on the offer here on Cinephile, how much I've enjoyed this limited series available on Paramount+. Plus. It has wrapped up all 10 episodes, but if you haven't seen it yet, you should watch it. And if you have seen it, go watch it again. It's a pleasure to bring in Dexter Fletcher right now, one of the executive producers and director of the show as well for the first couple episodes. Dexter, thank you so much. First and foremost, congratulations on a, on a wonderful achievement. How daunting a challenge was this? The Godfather, arguably the greatest American film ever made, and you're telling the story behind the scenes of this iconic film. Film. Yeah, well, since you put it like that, now I'm terrified. I never really thought about it before. I thought I was just having a good time. No, look, I mean, you're right. It is one of arguably the greatest films of certainly the last half century and iconic and, and uh, you know, seminal. And, and so that, that wasn't lost on any of us, really, and certainly not me and the, and the cast going in. Uh, and the writers, you know, Michael Tolkien and Nikki Toscano. But but I think what we we quickly convinced ourselves of was that we were telling the story behind this great film and that we weren't trying to replicate it or, or we couldn't do that. It's too amazing. But what we could do was send it a love letter. What we could do was kind of enjoy and, and celebrate the people who did create that film and from that period and give it all our sort of heart and admiration that we, we we possibly could. Really, we just wanted to make sure that we we kind of uh, you know gave it gave it our best in that regard. Everyone's got a version of their own story, whether it's Francis Ford Coppola or Robert Evans. I believe for the offer, Al Ruddy was the main source of inspiration for Michael Tolkien. Um, how did that come to be? How did Al's story be the story that ended up being the one that was told? You know, that's interesting. I, I'm not sure how they met or what 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 the genesis of that was. But certainly Michael Tolkien and, and Al Ruddy, uh, who is the sole producer of The Godfather, he's the man with his name on the Academy Award that sits on his shelf. He's the sole producer. Um, you know, he's this kind of maverick from back in the 70s that, that produced some great films and, and came from the background of, of he created Hogan's Heroes, you know, which is uh, a great show that everybody knows. But I think he and Michael sat down and just started recounting his memories of that period of what happened, who was involved and, and sort of like how the whole film got made and, and, and Tolkien uh, kind of, uh, you know, dramatised those memoirs, really, those conversations. Yeah, and it's amazing because I think in many ways he's an underrated and underappreciated figure in history. People would know about Marlon Brando and Al Pacino and Copeland Evans, but Al Ruddy, and the fact, I like the fact you included in the show, later won an Academy Award producing Million Dollar Baby. So he had a great relationship with Clint Eastwood as well. Yeah, which still stands to this day. I, he, he was one of part of the producing team that worked on on, on uh, Cry Macho, I believe. You know, yes. so they're still they're still great friends to this day, and and are you know the Mavericks that they are, like they say. And and Al's an incredible character, and, and has many many stories. You know, when we were trying to land Miles Teller, who's fantastically plays him, fantastically throughout the ten episodes. You know, Miles had a big decision to make. You know, he, Top Gun was about to come out and he was doing some great movie stuff. And this was a big undertaking for six, seven months of his life uh, on this 10-part series. And and I don't know quite what Al Ruddy said to him, but after a conversation that was meant to be 
sort of half an hour after two hours later, you know, Miles hung up with him and he called me immediately and said, I'm doing it. I'm in. I'm, I must, I must play this guy. He's, he's unbelievable. You know, so, so Ruddy has this in, incredible charm and power and presence that, that Miles really uh, imbibed and, and kind of uh, plays beautifully and, and carries the whole series with. He, he's really quite masterful at it. Yeah, Miles is a terrific actor. I really enjoyed yeah. his work. I've been on podcast previously. And I think in many ways, you know, he has to be the grounded center of the show, right? It's not a it's not a showy lead performance, but it's critical because he's the one holding the whole thing together. There's been some comparisons to some critics. He's kind of like Robert Mitchum. Do you see that connection? All Mitchum, one of my favorites. Yeah, yeah. I'm sure Miles would adore that. I'm sure he'd really love that. You know, yeah, look, there's a certain amount of old school macho Hollywood about Miles that is really, you know, not out of place. And and somehow he's very current as well at the same time. He's not anachronistic. You know, that, that's the great thing. He, he stands up and is counted as the guy that he is. And I think that it's his equal part of, of any other kind of diverse kind of cast that we have. And we do have a very wide range of characters, but Miles really is the tempo. He's the guy who allows all those larger than life characters to stay grounded. You know, the, the Bob Evans is, you know, Matthew Good is particularly big kind of wide role and fantastic performance. Charlie Bluedhorn, you know, who owned Paramount at the time, Bern Gorman, and even Mario Puzo, and, uh, you know, Patrick Gallo and, and Coppola. These characters allowed by Miles' is really central performance and Juno Temple as his right-hand woman, uh, there helps allow them to, to really fill out the space with their characters and really, uh, you know, colour it. Let's talk further about my favourite part of the show, which you just mentioned. Matthew Good is Robert Evans. I mean, yeah. he is just fabulous. From the first time you see him, and Dexter, I love the kid stays in the picture. I have the book. I've seen the documentary. Right. Anybody who's a movie geek knows yeah. what a great character Robert Evans is. Yeah. Love story, The Godfather, Chinatown. And yeah. I thought Matthew Good just knocked it out of the park. Tell me everything about Matthew Good playing this role, because I thought he was tremendous. Well, he was. And, you know, he, it's no secret, really, that he he sort of came late in the day. There, there was There was a... It was a big name movie star who was toying with playing it and 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 didn't, and and so Matthew was top of the list of right. If okay, if the big name movie star doesn't do it, who do you want? And, and Nicky Toscano and myself, uh, Nicky the showrunner, we were both really adamant that Matthew was be the guy. And Matthew didn't even know about it. I mean, I think we just offered him the job really, and, and it came as a complete surprise to him. And he was in London, and he was locked down on COVID, and all the other actors were here in LA, and I was doing rehearsals and. Had got everyone together, and and Matthew was sort of in a vacuum and created that character, uh, sort of on his own. He and I were speaking a lot, obviously, but I think that kind of helps him in a way because Evans sort of inhabits his own space in this in this uh, story. He mm. as the driving force and the, and the sort of godhead, if you like, of the studio who who uh, allowed all things and made things happen. And Matthew's process was really intense and. And, and quite solitary, really, because it had to be. But he studied and studied. And what he's done brilliantly is he's not created an impression or a snapshot. He's created a very fully well-rounded character that goes through so many different emotions and, and moments in the show from when you meet him. You know, you really go on this fantastic journey with him. And, and it's a testament, really, to, to his great acting talent and skill and craft uh, that he keeps that character so much more than just you know, the, the the external Robert Evans that we know and love. He makes him so much more deeper than layered than that. 
No, you nailed it. It makes you think of what Lawrence Olivier said. Sometimes you're doing acting from the outside in. Like, let's get the permatan. Let's yeah. get the de- 10 different pairs of glasses. Let's get the hair. Yeah. But the essence of Robert Evans, the fact he was a really smart, shrewd, cunning guy and yeah. lovesick, heartbroken by Ali McGraw. Like, yeah. there's a real emotion to this guy beyond just the artifice. Oh, God, yeah. I mean, and this is, this is you know, like I say, a testament to Matthew's great skill as an actor that, that he he takes every one of those moments and, and plays them with equal gusto and, and commitment, you know, he, he's um, he's not just reveling in the fun, you know, power stuff, but also the broken man who, yeah, has his heart broken by Ali McGraw. She ran off with Steve McQueen. I mean, you know, it, it's one of the great sort of, you know, love stories of Hollywood. But, you know, if you're going to get your heart broken, you know, you lose your girl who you love, the woman you love, but she runs off with Steve McQueen. How do you, how do you <laughs> compete with that? You know, it's all going to great Hollywood icons like Mitchell. You know, this was Steve McQueen. And, and so, but I think, you know that Matthew really, really was diligent and careful and particular and passionate about it, and I think that shows in every scene that he's in. Yeah, I read some stuff. There's a great article in the Hollywood Reporter about his work. I encourage everyone to check it out. In which he says that he had to listen to audio tapes of Robert Evans from that time because he said yeah. if you watch the kid stays in the picture, that's an older Robert Evans. You know, his voice is different and such. So he goes, I had to kind of get the voice from the early '70s and the cadence and just that delivery. It's a very kind of crisp, unique delivery, calling people babe and you know, yeah. tossing up expressions. It's just, it's such a fun. I, I can imagine for you as a director, was it like directing a performance like that? Would you ask him for more takes? Would you kind of just let him do his thing? How, how did you? harness it well uh it, it was very well harnessed already i mean that is the beauty of it because we had this rehearsal period and i and i and i asked everyone to create their backstory and their history and research their characters if they were real people or if they were invented you know everyone had to create their entire history and 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 he he had a wealth of material to dive into because evans documented a lot of his own life and was well documented but still, the, the emotional journey of that character that he goes through through this period, which was a really tumultuous period, but also a very exciting one, even in in film terms. You know what you know was happening between sixty eight to seventy two. You know the whole landscape of movies was changing seismically, and he was a, a huge part of that. Um, but I, I think Matthew found a way of of listening to the kid stays in the picture and understanding who that man was and trying to imagine who he was, you know, 40 years before that, how that energy was different, how that voice was didn't, how that younger man's cadence was. And this was, a again, another huge part of what he did. But in terms of directing him, yeah, I would, you know, set him up and let it knock it down. And 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 if there were certain beats or things that I thought that he could mine or or there was something that was coming further down the line that we could we could sort of set up, then we spoke about it. But it's one of the great joys of great acting is, you know, don't get in the way of it and, and only, you know, do what you can to, to support, encourage and, and give people confidence. That's my my general rule of thumb. That's very smart. We're talking to Dexter Fletcher. Once again, the offer is available on Paramount+. Plus. You should definitely check it out if you have not already. Anytime you're watching The Godfather, Dexter, you want to see how many seasons are going to have from The Godfather, meaning here's yeah. Marlon Brando stroking the cat, right? Here's Al Pacino, yeah. the famous scene where he shoots Salazzo. I mean, how yeah. much fun was it to, to recreate those scenes? Well, I, uh, you know, I, I, you know, my first two episodes, I didn't, I, you know, 
I didn't get to do those things. That comes later on in the show, and they're beautifully realised. They're great, and I paid little homages to them. You know, I have Giovanni Ribisi playing Joe Colombo, and I have him at a particular moment where he's at a meeting with the with the heads of the five families of two of them, and I, you know, he goes into the restroom, and there's a there's an old toilet there, and and we we pay homage in our own little cheeky way, you know, which is fun, but. Like I said, we, we can never replicate or, or, you know, we'd be foolish to chase trying to make The Godfather. And that's why if you, you look at the show, it rarely appears or there's glimpses of it. You're on the sidelines or even when you see people watching the film for the first time, you see the people watching it. You know, you see all these these New York um, guys watching it. And because it's such a, it is a bit of a, a sacred cow in a way, if you like. You know, there it, you'd... You know, it, it, it seemed kind of, you know, sacrilegious, not sacrilegious, but kind of crazy to, yeah. to do it. I adore Frank Sinatra. It was uh, crazy to see in the movie, and I yeah. wasn't surprised with this. I'm like, I'm pretty sure he probably did not like the character of Johnny Fontaine, which very much felt yeah. based on Frank Sinatra, yeah. a guy, you know, a tough guy, yeah, yeah, mob yeah. rules, you know, some stuff. But the fact that he kind of intimidated Mario Puzo like that—that's that, been one of the best parts of your show. I'd watch it, and then I Google it and go, "Did this happen? Is this true? true? Yes, it did happen. Yeah. Frank Sinatra did intimidate and bully yeah. Mario Puzo. Yeah, and, and John Wayne was at the table that night as well. You know, that's another part of it that we that we could really have, but John Wayne was at dinner with Sinatra and Puzo came in and came over to pay his respect and Sinatra went for him, you know, and Puzo defended himself with a fork. I mean, it's, you know, it's, it's Hollywood legend and it's brilliant. And, and yeah, we, we got to play all of that wonderful stuff and see these, these people in, in a, in a different light, which we, you know, we really, really enjoyed and we're very grateful to have that opportunity. Tell me about the reception to the, I mean, listen, any Godfather fans like me have, have eaten up the show, but have you had the chance, did Coppola reach out, Pacino, anybody involved in the original Godfather? Has anyone passed along their thoughts? No, I've not. I've, I mean, I'd love to hear from, from Coppola, the great man himself. Um, and I sat with Pacino because I was lucky enough to work with him uh, as an actor. Uh, I, I played his son in a movie called Revolution. Oh, yeah. Uh, 1985, Hugh Hudson, sure. That's right. So I, so I know Al from, from way back when... And I played his son, like I say. So I reached out to him here, and I knew that he was a big fan of Rocket Man. I, 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 we were in when I directed Rocket Man. We were on the circuit here in uh, 2019, and Al was around uh, with, with the um, the Irishman, and we kept bumping into each other. He said, oh, "I love the I love the movie, the Rocket Man movie." I'll and he calls me my son, my son, my boy. It's so good. You've done amazing. He's like super proud, and I'm like you know over the moon that Al. And, and so I, when we were doing this, I went and sat with him and just sort of spoke to him about what he was like at that age and what his influences were and what that was. And we, we had coffee for an hour or so, and, and he talked really eloquently and, and beautifully about who he was at that time in his life, which yeah. I spoke to young Anthony about. Um, and I'm, I'm hoping to see him. I'm, I'm now back in L.A. editing another project. So I, I've got, a, I've got a, a, a dinner coming up with Al in the, in the next week oh. or so. So hopefully I'll... I'll get to, but I hear that he really likes it. I mean, I, I, I know that I think he thinks it's great. I mean, one of the lovely things he's quoted as saying is that it really captures that period of yes. filmmaking. And that for me is one of the greatest compliments because that's really what we were reaching for is like, this was a really, like I was saying, a seminal time for movie making. You know, if yes. you look at the films that were making them and the people who were making them, and it's a very short window. But the, the, the masterpieces that came out of that period and this time in Hollywood, you know, from Easy Rider to Paper Moon to Five Easy Pieces, you know, uh, 
it's like the list is endless of this in this particular pocket of really marathon men and, and just like these incredible, incredible films and incredible artists to to just be able to get to dip our toe in that and 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 you know tip our hat to those guys is really was really the joy of it. Yeah, from '67 to '77, you can't beat it. Main Streets, Taxi Driver, you yeah. name it. This is, yeah, it's, it's crazy. It's crazy good. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Crazy Good is also the offer. Dexter Fletcher, phenomenal job. I love that story with you and Pacino. Hopefully you get to see him, and I'm sure he will uh, tell you more how much he loved the show. But I encourage everyone to go check out the show on Paramount Plus, all 10 parts. I know the Emmy nominations. I'm sure you guys will get a ton of Emmy nominations, Uh, and you deserve it. And and let me add by the fact, Rocket Man was terrific. And I was a little bit skeptical, Dexter, because I said, well, another musical biopic. I don't know a whole lot about Elton John, and I thought it was fabulous. Start to finish, it was creative and stylish, and it was really, really well done. I I, I appreciate it. I I was singing the songs afterwards. That's well, it does. So well, really great. I appreciate it. And thank you very much. Thank you so much. Well, it's great to talk to a genuine enthusiast and, and fan like yourself as well. You know, your energy is infectious. So thank you. No, that's so kind of you, Dexter. Be well. All right. And you. All right. Thanks so much. Uh, once again, Dexter was awesome. Um, you heard at one point, he said we had a major Hollywood star there who was going to be Robert Evans. And once the interview was over, I said to him, hey, listen, I know Army Hammer was supposed to be the main lead. And then Miles Teller jumped in. That was reported. I know you didn't want to say it, but just between us, can you tell me? And he did tell me. So that just shows what a good guy Dexter Fletcher is. I'll tell you off here. I can't tell anybody right now. He told me the story. And he goes, yeah, this stays between us. I'm like, no, I appreciate that. But it was recording via Zoom. The fact he trusted me, that shows Dexter's a good man. Thanks once again to him and his reps and the entire team. Make sure you check out the offer on Paramount+. Plus. Uh, make sure you check out Dan as Elvis. Amazing. And uh, this was a blast. Hope everyone enjoyed this podcast. We will talk to you next time on Cinephile. Lots of movies coming up. Minions, The Rise of Gru. I think next week, more Michael Keaton. I want to do Batman Returns. More Michael Keaton, more Tim Burton. I'll see you at the movies. Our kids have said to us since we've moved to Minnesota, we are far more active than we've ever been anywhere else we've ever lived. Moving to Minnesota opened up a lot of doors for us. Just this overall sense of community and of values that, you know, Minnesotans have. It's a real accepting, loving community, especially with two young kids. See what makes Minnesota the star of the North. New residents share why they love calling it home at exploreminnesota.com slash live.